Well, good morning. I'm John Wyman. I'm the mission pastor here at Fellowship of Grace. And I get the honor and the privilege today to spend some time sharing God's word with you as we continue in our sermon series on 1 Corinthians as we look at gospel unity. Now, just a quick story before we get started here. My wife, Dee, and I, uh, we both kind of like, you know, working with our hands a little bit, doing kind of small projects. And one of the things she's really good at, she's actually very talented, she can find, like, small, think of, like, end table size or, or so, pieces of furniture. She'll find them at a yard sale or... Uh, antique shop or something like that, kind of beaten down, broken up and everything. She'll bring them home and she'll, she'll fix them up, replace them, kind of clean them up, get them painted. And they really look good. I mean, she does a really good job with them. She's really kind of talented that way. Now, I will tell you, for me, that doesn't really get me too excited. I mean, I like what she does, but like doing that doesn't, isn't really my thing, which is fine because one thing we do share together, we kind of like, you know, home remodel stuff and even watching it like on HGTV or DIY Network. And if you've ever watched one of those shows, you know, they go in there and they you know, just remodel the whole place. It's all about the big reveal at the end, you know? Everything builds to the big reveal at the end. And I, I didn't know this. Uh, I wasn't expecting this. I had a big reveal of my own one time. So uh, my wife, Dee, we, and I, we, uh, we hadn't been married like six months or so, I don't think. And we got invited to a party, and people found out we were, you know, newlyweds. And, oh, you're newlyweds. That's so cute. And, you know, how'd you meet? And all that stuff. And at some point, someone said to my wife, they, 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 they said, so Dee, what do you like to do? And she turns and looks directly at me and she goes, well, I, I like to find like old beaten up, broken down things and improve them and get them back together again. And, and, and I'm like, why are you looking at me when you say that? You know, and so now like everybody's looking at me. And if, if you know me at all or spend any time with me, you know, my instant reaction is, you know, ta-da, you know, so <laughs> that's, that's my life, man. But reveals can be really funny, you know, in hindsight, but they can also be really positive. They can be really good. And, and what we're going to talk about today as we get into chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians is we're going to talk about how, how God's wisdom is revealed. That's what really Paul is writing about here. If you look at the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, we spent our first couple weeks in chapter 1, and, and one of the major themes out of chapter 1 that Paul addressed was the divisions in the church. And as you look forward to, to chapter 3, we'll start that next week, Paul will hit divisions in the church again. So you, you kind of look at the book and you go, all right, divisions, chapter 2, divisions, is there a break? Is this not the same? And, and the truth is, it, it is the same. Okay, Paul's just addressing it from a, from a different perspective because part of the problem of divisions in the Corinthian church was Corinthian is kind of a cultural thing, like this attraction to, to worldly wisdom, to being, you know, really smart and, and you know, I'm, I, I'm smarter than you and I've got this philosophy and I've got that philosophy and I can speak really well. And, 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 and that was part of the, of the divisions. And that's what Paul's starting to address here. Like, like somehow the, culturally the, the thought was that gave you like special knowledge, special wisdom. You were kind of better than other folks. And, and Paul's saying, look, that, that's not the case here. So if, if you have your Bible with you, if you have a Bible app, I'd, I'd invite you to join. We're going to read through uh, uh, chapter 2 here, or you can follow us up on the screen. And we'll just go through it here. And there, Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. But it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So a lot in there in, in, in those 16 verses, uh, but we're really going to break it down into five truths that Paul is teaching us here. And the first one we want to look at is that Paul brought the gospel without fanfare. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. We'll read those together here quickly. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What, what Paul's saying here is, look, folks, you weren't saved by some great show that I put on or, or the way that I strung a bunch of really cool words together as if I was some type of a... You, know, you picture, when you read this, you almost picture like a, a street vendor, a carnival vendor is kind of what he's talking about. Paul's saying, no, you were saved by God's plan and God's power. Matter of fact, if we look back to, to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, what we looked at last week, verses 18 to 31, what Paul did in there is he described the principle of human wisdom and God's wisdom. Here as we start chapter 2, he brings it down to a more personal level and he shows the Corinthians that they've already experienced this difference. What Paul's really saying is, hey, you want proof that God's wisdom is better than man's wisdom? J just look at yourselves. You know, you weren't saved because of some spectacular show that I put on. You believed because I preached the gospel by itself, and then I got out of the way and let God's power work in you. That, that's the point here. Now, when we talk about the gospel, it's, it really is a very simple message, but it's also an incredibly powerful message. Because each one of us, God, when God created us, God created man to have a perfect, loving relationship with him. But for our own decisions... Man decided to disobey that. Man decided to go in his own way, and we call that sin. And the consequence of sin is that separates us from God because God is perfect. He can't be around sin. Therefore, we have created a separation, and there's nothing that we can do to fix that. But God had a better plan, and he sent Jesus Christ out of a perfect heaven to come down into the earth that we kind of messed up a bit here, okay, and to live a perfect life, to then go on the cross and die as a perfect sacrifice for us, exchanging his righteousness for our sin. And three days later, he rose, he defeated death in the grave, so that when we place our faith in what he accomplished through his death and resurrection, we're saved. The message is actually that simple. No juggling, no light shows, 
No smoke, fog machines, no nothing. It's that simple. That, that's what Paul's saying. That truth is powerful enough to change lives. It doesn't need any help from us, none whatsoever. Folks, as Christians, we do have a responsibility. We, we have a, a mandate, really, to share the, the gospel. I mean, we, we look in Matthew 28 when Jesus is giving some final instructions to his disciples, and he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all I have instructed you. In Acts 1.8, we see that he tells the disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's a clear, those are clear instructions that were go, to go and share that message. What we don't have is an authority to make it better, to jazz it up, to make it more appealing. We also don't have the ability to change a heart. That, that's what God does. That's God's role. Paul let God do a work in the Corinthians that only God can do. The same way God does a work in us today that only God can do. The, the gospel doesn't need to be improved. It can't be improved. It simply needs to be shared honestly and sincerely. And Paul writes about this in several of his letters. He actually wrote a couple of letters to, 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 the, to the church in Corinth. Two of them are in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians. If you look in 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul writes about this again. He says, for we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak Christ. Now, that's kind of a harsh word there if you look at it, peddlers. You know, when you think of a peddler, you think of like a huckster, you know, someone who's hawking something, you know, back to that, that concept of a street vendor, you know. Even if you were to soften the word down to salesman, it, it still doesn't fit. It's still not the right word. Because being a salesman, that, that's a very honorable profession. I mean, you're, you're, giving, you're providing services or products for a cost. Here's the problem. You don't buy the gospel. The gospel's free. There's nothing we can do to buy or to get our own salvation. It's a free gift. When Paul talks about the free gift, that's what he's talking about. The gospel of salvation, that's why he talks about being men of sincerity. Like we don't get some type of benefit by sharing it. You know, we, we don't do it for, you know, if I'm a salesman, okay, maybe I'm on commission or maybe I'm getting a percentage of the sale or something. I get something back for that. It's not what we're talking about here. We're doing this for God's glory and we're doing it for other people. See, the way Christians in Corinth, or Corinth, excuse me, came to Christ, it's completely different than the way they came to any other worldview or belief system that was being offered in Greece at that time. They simply believed in a clear message without any fanfare, without any bells and whistles, without any, any crazy stuff. But I want to be clear here. Paul is not minimizing the gospel. And he says, I didn't come with lofty speech. Okay, he also didn't come up and, you know, I, my background, I'm kind of an introvert and an engineer, so you'll, you'll picture this, kind of my eyes straight down. If I'm an extroverted engineer, I look at your shoes. But if I'm an introvert, I'm on my own shoes. <laughs> Let that sink in for a second. You know, Paul didn't come up and, you know, he's like kicking the ground and, 
well, you know, um, so Jesus kind of like sort of died for you, so that'd be really good if you maybe sort of believed. I mean, it was nothing silly like that. This was a full-throated announcement of the gospel of God. This was a full-throated proclamation of how great God is and his saving message. He, he didn't spice it up. He didn't dumb it down. He just gave it the way it was. And the central point in all of this is when he talks about Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Paul says he chose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, what he's saying there is when we think of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, it makes all other knowledge and all other wisdom relatively small. It makes it appear almost unimportant in some cases, depending on what it is. He's, he's not saying other knowledge isn't important. This is a comparison of, of importance. This is a comparison of relative value. Of course, other knowledge is important. Think of medical knowledge. You know, the ability to clear an airway for someone who's, who's choking. The ability to stop someone who's bleeding and someone who's bleeding. You know, CPR, to get a heart started. Of course, that's important. What Paul is explaining here is that it's, it's much more important to him the value of the gospel. He said, I'll let other people teach you all that stuff. That stuff's good, but I'll let other folks do it. I'm going to focus on the gospel. I'm going to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. You want an example of like this relative value. Okay, so like there's a bunch of red out here in shirts, and I'm not sure why. Maybe there's something happening today at noontime, and the closer we get to noon, you all start checking your watches and wondering when I'm going to finish. But we're all excited, you know, Chiefs are doing well again, Patrick Mahomes doing well again. Of course, we all want to know his stats. We don't look silly when we talk about him and everything. That's fine. Okay, when we talk about a relative comparison, think of it this way. Think of knowing Patrick Mahomes' stats and be able to, like, kind of talk about it. That's, like, in importance, like, down here. It's about where it is, okay? And, and then CPR, like, the ability to get a heart started again, that's, like, here. And then when we talk about the gospel message, the value of understanding what Christ accomplished, that's like punch a hole in the roof and look as high as you can. That's the relative importance that he's explaining here. He's not saying the other knowledge isn't important. He's saying this is the most important. It's not even close. That's the focus. And that's why Paul doesn't mix any bit of foolishness with his message. And that's why we shouldn't either when we share the gospel. Folks, when we share the gospel, it's not about how impressive we are. It's about how impressive God is. Look, if you're a Christian, but you don't think you're good enough, you know, or a good enough speaker or, or, or whatever to share the gospel, that's just not true. That's simply not true. The, the, the gospel is effective on its own. It just needs to be shared. And, and, and if you're not a Christian, if you haven't placed your faith in what Christ accomplished with death and resurrection, here's what I want to ask you today. Don't hold back for anything else. There's nothing, we're not bringing anything else because there's nothing else to bring. That message in itself is enough. And if, if, if this is new to you, if you haven't heard this message before, you've heard it and you still have questions, please don't leave here today without talking about it. Talk to me, talk to Pastor Derek, Pastor Christopher, one of our folks out front. Don't leave here with questions in your mind about that. So when we talk about relative importance, that kind of leads us to the second point that Paul talks about here, which is that our weakness shows God's power. And we see that in, in verses 3 to 5. We'll read that together here. And what Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul didn't come into Corinth as some kind of larger-than-life figure. You know, at, at the time, like, if the, if the Roman army came into town, like, it was a big deal. You know, there was a bunch of fanfare. And, I mean, it was a big deal. Paul didn't do that. And what Paul's doing here is he, he's contra- contrasting his relative weakness with the strength of God's saving grace to emphasize the importance of trusting in God's power over our own. Now, obviously, Paul's preaching produced results. That's clear. We, we know that. But he didn't produce them all by himself. Paul was a tool, just like we are tools that God uses. But, but please don't misunderstand that to, to think one of two things, that either weak means I do nothing, like I can't do anything, okay? Because on one side, we've got, well, you, you know, the, the, the passage just said, you know, it's all about the power, and I'm weak, so I can't do anything. I'll just let the power, you know, the spirit do all the work. Then we have this other problem over on the other side which says, hey, look what I did. I led all these people to Christ. Look at me. Look, those, those are two extremes that are wrong. They're, they're both wrong, okay? God's method is to work through us, but he's the one doing the work. The, the, the example I could give you would be like a power drill. Think of an electric drill. So you got a piece of board, you got some wood that's got to, you got to put some holes in. Okay, you're going to see the drill and the bit that goes through the wood. Okay, but if you haven't plugged it in or you don't have a, a battery in it, it's not doing much of anything. You, you can bang on that wood with that drill bit all day long and have absolutely no effect on that piece of wood. It, it's, it's the power that comes behind that. And, and what this does is this points us away from our own abilities, our own strengths, the things we see, and it points directly to what only God can do. That's what Paul's trying to explain to us. Again, Paul talks about this throughout his writings in the New Testament. We look in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul writes a very similar thing. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Folks, salvation isn't our work, it's God's. And just like we don't save ourselves, we don't save others either. Think about for a moment, we talk about weakness, we talk about strength. Think about how we define strength today. One of the bigger compliments you can give somebody is to say that they're a self-made man or a self-made woman. That kind of gets us standing up a little bit when somebody says something like that about us. Humility or giving way or giving credit is, is, is often seen as losing or as weakness. Winning arguments tends to be more important than winning respect for the way we handle disagreement with other people. Like, everybody's got an audience. You know, in Corinth, people would just stand on a corner, stand on a stump, stand on a rock, and, and, and everybody who passes by is listening to them. Today, we got Facebook, we got Twitter. We got Instagram. We got blogs. The entire world gets the privilege of hearing our brilliance at the click of a a key. Think about that for a second. And not only that, we have the power to block out anybody who's foolish enough to disagree with what we have to say. We only have to listen to ourselves. It's awesome. This is great. The problem is, if we're not careful, 
we can very easily start to believe in ourselves. We can very easily start to rest in our own brilliance, in our own power. I mean, we get affirmation all the time. You know, how many retweets did you get? How many likes did you get on Facebook? You know, you post something, hey, 87 likes. They love me. (laughs) Just like the Corinthians, we can start to have a very unrealistic perspective on our own strengths and weaknesses and our own self-importance. When we start to rest in our own wisdom or the wisdom of others, it means we don't really need God's wisdom. We got our own. But Paul's point is this. It's all great. All that talk, all that talk is great. But it is way more powerful when people see a change in us. You know, maybe we had problems with our temper. Maybe we had problems with anger. Maybe we had problems with some type of of addicted personality. Okay? Maybe we had a problem with the way we treated people. But now, God's done a work in us. and, 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 And that's going away. Or maybe that's gone away because we've let God work in us. It is way more powerful of a testimony to see that than any big lofty words. Maybe you start to see it in yourself where you know, your, your first reaction when something displeased you was to get angry and to turn red. And maybe it didn't, maybe it did, maybe it didn't come out of your mouth, but man, it was running around in your head. And you notice, hey, that's not happening anymore. That demonstration is way more powerful because it's been shown. It's not talked about. Let me look at our third point. The third truth that Paul brings to us today is that God's wisdom brought our salvation. We see that in verses 6 through 9. In there, what Paul writes, he says, Yet among the mature we do, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, as we look at this, let's remember in verses 1 through 5, Paul said, hey, I didn't come preaching words of wisdom. Now we get here and he says, hey, I imparted some wisdom. Is there a disconnect here? Are these two kind of at odds with each other? And the simple answer is no. Paul's saying, we did speak wisdom. The difference is, it's just not a wisdom of this age. Those are the important words. It's not in a wisdom of today, the way man defines wisdom today. He's making a distinction between people who listen to God and people who listen to themselves. Paul's not suggesting here that he brought some type of special message meant only for special people. Uh, most translations, we use the English Standard Version here, they use the word mature. Most other uh, translations use that. It's interesting, the King James Version actually uses the word perfect or perfection. Okay, Paul is not talking about a status here. Okay, like you went from beginner status through intermediate to gold to platinum to mature. That's, that's not what he's talking about. This is one of those cases where you do have to go back in and kind of take a look at, at the way Paul originally wrote the letter, the context, and the original Greek that he wrote it in. And, 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 and as you break that down, what you start to talk about is you talk about end times. That's what he's meaning. He's talking about you know, when Christ returns, okay, that's when he talks about imparting on the mature. What he's saying is 
People who focus themselves on Christ's return, on being ready for Christ when he comes back, by having placed their faith in what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection, those are the ones among whom he's placing his, his imparting wisdom. Excuse me. Those folks are the ones who understand God's wisdom. Please don't mean, misunderstand this to, under, to mean that somehow you have to have a level of knowledge, a level of intelligence, a level of like you're super sophisticated or something. Folks, that's man's definition of wisdom. What Paul's doing here is he's taking the concept of worldly knowledge and worldly wisdom and he's flipping it on its head. He's flipping it right upside down. See, worldly wisdom says you have to be like special. You have to be enlightened. You have to be you know, highly educated. You know, it's almost like kind of this condescending, but if you only understood, kind of an attitude. You know, Paul's not coming in here saying, hey, I've got some special wisdom, but it's only for my close friends. No, that's not what he means at all. What Paul's describing here is that those folks who listen to God's wisdom are able to hear it better and understand it better simply because they didn't reject it by following their own wisdom, by saying, hey, thanks, God, I appreciate it, but I got my own, I'm good. That's why they can understand it. You don't have to be some super smart person to understand God's wisdom. You just have to be humble enough to accept the fact that his is better than yours. And that's an important point. It's also a huge encouragement to all of us, whether whether you're a Christian or not. This should be a huge encouragement that we don't need something special inside of us to to, to be saved. And, And when Paul talks about, you know, he preached, you know, things that weren't accepted, the things that weren't wisdom of his age. Just look at what he, really four specific things in in chapters one and two. We just read a moment ago in in chapter two, verse two, that he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we go back to chapter one, we see that Paul preached the word of the cross in verse 18. He preached the wisdom of God in verse 21. And he preached Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God in in verse 24. The truth is, folks, whether you're in the first century or you're today, none of that is considered wisdom by the world, which is what Paul means when he said said he imparted or shared a wisdom that wasn't of this age. It wasn't current thinking or the thinking of the current times. This was so important to Paul that he dedicates verses 7 through 9 to point directly to Jesus' crucifixion. God's plan has always been for Jesus to be our Savior. That gospel message that, that, I, that I, I, I gave a little bit ago, that has always been God's plan. And we can see it. All we've got to do is look in the Old Testament. We can look in Psalms, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, Malachi. All of them talk about Jesus as the coming Savior. Here's the interesting thing. The leaders in Jesus' day, the ones who killed him, they knew that. They were the educated ones. They were the ones who had studied those scriptures most of their lives. And even though Jesus spent three years teaching that he was the Savior, the rulers rejected his teaching and they rejected him. Their earthly wisdom told them, reject this guy. Kill him. Crucify him. And when we look and we see in, in, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and each one of them records Jesus' arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion, we see that the the leaders and the people of Jerusalem demanded a crucifixion, and they were willing to lie to get it. They were willing to let a murderer free, a guy named Barabbas, in order to get it, because that's what man's wisdom told them to do. 
but God had a better plan. You know, he talks there, Paul writes there about the fact uh, that, that, that what no eye has seen or ear heard and a heart of man has imagined. That's, that's generally following Isaiah 64, 4. It's not an exact quote. Okay, but what Paul's talking about is God had been preparing this forever. That, that God had prepared for those who love him a salvation for him through what Jesus Christ accomplished. Folks, when we look around us today, we see similar worldly wisdom. We see, get God out of the schools. We see, get God out of the workplace. We see, get God out of conversations. We, we, we see all of that. And we see equally crazy results. The, the more we push God away, the, the more we put our own wisdom and our own preferences first, we just keep seeing more anger, more hurt, more sin, more, more suffering, more division. It, it's not a mystery. Those are not unconnected events. Those are not unconnected facts. But just like Paul writes that God worked through him to give the Corinthians God's wisdom, we have the same access today. We've got the Bible. And, and by the way, in this country, we can read it freely. That's, that's not the case for everyone around the world. We, we have gospel-centered preaching. Here at Fog, we have community groups, we have core groups, we have one-on-one discipling. We have the ability, each one of us, to sit quietly before God. We have that same access. And while earthly wisdom comes and goes, God's wisdom has stood the test of time. The same spirit of God that Paul discusses with the Corinthians that's working in, was working in them is still working today. And that's our, our next point. We see the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals God's wisdom to us. And we see that in verses 10 through 13. And what Paul writes there, he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have revealed not the spirit of the, received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If, if, if we wanted to sum up those verses like real quick, we can't figure this out ourselves, folks. We just can't, and God knew that. That's why when we look at John 14, 26, we see Jesus teaching them. He's encouraging. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus calls the Spirit the helper for a reason. Only God's Spirit can reveal himself to us. So what Paul is really saying in these verses is, okay, God can understand God and God can understand us. Our problem is we can only understand ourselves. We, we can't understand God. So you, so you look at it and they go, well, there's, there's a disconnect here. What, 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 how do we fix this? Well, when, when Christ comes into us, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, what happens instantly is the Spirit comes in us. The, 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 the term the Bible uses, it dwells in us. And when that happens then we see, start to see things not from our own perspective anymore. We see it from the Spirit's perspective. When it talks about spiritually discerning, that's the point. It's not like we got some super sophisticated spiritual abilities now. It's no, now the helper, the Spirit, is in us 
and discerns those things for us that we might understand them. We we don't understand everything about God, but the Spirit allows us to understand His wisdom in salvation. Paul is just reinforcing the point that earthly wisdom is of no value at all in understanding God. It just isn't. Earthly wisdom rejects God's wisdom, so we can't understand that, which is our fifth point today. It's our fifth truth that if you rely on the wisdom of man, you can't understand the wisdom of God. And we see that in in, in verses 14 through 16. And in there what Paul writes is, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What Paul's referring to, he's referencing back to chapter 1 and verse uh, 18 when he talks about the folly. In in, in chapter 1, verse 18, he wrote, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to uh, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He's just making that difference again. It goes back to the truth that you can really rely on your own wisdom or you can rely on God's. There's no door number three. There's no, like, a la carte. You can pick the best of each one. It's one or the other. Think of it as kind of your line. You have have a way to communicate with someone. When you've rejected God and you've broken that relationship with him, you've also broken that line with which you communicate with him. They're either together, your relationship and your communication, or they're broken. When, when, When we say, God, I just don't want to hear from you, then you don't. That's simple. The message simply doesn't come through. If we lock the door and put up the do not disturb sign in front of us, then the Spirit can't reveal God's wisdom to us. We just won't get it. Now, I do want to be a little uh, clear. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about um, you know, not being super spiritual, you know, it, it, it's not that we suddenly have this innate power, okay, It's simply that the Spirit does that work in us to understand. So it's spiritually discerned by the Spirit, not that we're somehow super smart. Now, this also brings up kind of a point for for Christians, is there's really very little or no value in debating the finer points of biblical truths with folks who who haven't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, and that's not an insult. That's not meant as an insult to someone. Like, you know, it, it's just a fact. I mean, if you don't believe the major points, you're not going to believe the minor points. You're just not. So, 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 so the point would be, hey, focus on the gospel. Focus getting folks to understand and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then you can have some amazing conversations about things like sin and evolution and the Trinity and all that other stuff. But focus on the gospel first. Now, I do want to make sure that we're kind of clear on what Paul says in in verse 15. He says in there, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. Again, this is not a status. It's it's not kind of a, you know, oh, by the way, I'm I'm a Christian and I'll be now judging all of you and don't bother judging back because, well, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is that when we allow the Spirit to come in us, one of the things the Spirit does is the Spirit convicts us of sin. We understand that now. So we judge things differently. Things that used to be okay to us, they're not okay anymore. 
our perspective completely changes. We judge all of things through the lens of Christ. We judge all things the way God tells us to, not the way we decided to do it on our own before. It's just a different perspective. Now, when Paul does say, but he's to be judged by no one, the point there is, you know, yeah, well, could people judge you? Yeah, fine, but that's not your problem. You're worried about what God, how God is judging you. You're paying no attention to what someone else is, is, is how someone else is judging you. And when we do that, when we, when we allow God to judge us, when we, allow, when we look at things completely differently with a new perspective, we have what Paul calls the mind of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect like Christ, like we think completely like Christ. What it means is we're in agreement with him. We're like-minded with him. We're in accord with him. We allow God to continue to change us, to make us more Christ-like. And we desire to see things as God sees them, not as the world sees them. Folks, chapter 2 should really be a huge comfort for us. It should be a huge encouragement for us, whether, whether we're a Christian or whether we're not. Because if you're a Christian, you are perfectly equipped to share the gospel with anybody and everybody at any time. You don't need anything else. It's right there for you. And, and you know, there's no special skills, and, and there's, there's an assurance in what God has done. And, and if you're not a Christian yet, if, if, you haven't, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, what this passage shows is just how easy that is. There's, there's, there's no worries of, well, I've got to kind of get this part of my life cleaned up and then I can become a Christian, right? Kind of get, get, get this part together and then I can... No, absolutely not. The, 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 the passage is very clear that, that there's no special skills required. It's as simple as we said it, as God said it was. God has placed his grace right in front of us. All we got to do is accept it. Let's pray. Lord, we just, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for explaining it the way you do through your word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that despite uh, us deciding to go our own way, you loved us enough to send Jesus down and to, to live a perfect life and be a perfect sacrifice for us when we place our faith in what he accomplished, that, that we're saved. And Lord, we just ask that you would continue to remind us of that fact, that you would continue, if, 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 if we're Christian, Lord, we've, we, we would continually see people the way you see them. And, and those who don't know you yet, Lord, we would share your gospel. Lord, we would, we would, we would spend the time to, to, to lead them to understand so that they would accept your gospel. 